Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be, I think, very briefly <laughs> discussing uh, the third <laughs> episode of The Patient on Hulu called Issues, which just aired a day ago, just premiered a day ago, I should say. And then bringing this podcast almost full circle in a way, uh, for those who've been longtime listeners, you have to be a very, very longtime listener to, to know this, but... Sona and I, our very first conversation we ever recorded was talking about some new thrillers that she might want to check out. And if you do track that down, the audio quality is pretty bad, by the way, for all you people who complain about the production values Sorry. of this podcast. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both had terrible audio back then, but we were uh, one of the recommended movies I made back then was a movie called Thoroughbreds, which was not available on HBO for a while. And I do think it's worth discussing yet again, because uh, not only is the film good, very good, I think, uh, but beyond that, the actresses here, Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook. Olivia something, yes. Olivia <laughs> Cook, yeah, have uh, kind of uh, come to a much greater prominence since then. Uh, Olivia Cook is about to premiere on The House of the Dragon show, which we're also covering here in the podcast. And she's been in Ready Player One and a bunch of other things. And uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, of course, has been in many things. The Queen's Gambit, just to name one very popular thing she's been in. Oh, and of course, it's the last film for Anton Yelkin as well. So mm, so sad. we will. Yeah, I know. It is sad. This movie is actually dedicated to him. Yeah, so, I saw that. So I did get digressed on that, by the way. So just to be clear on it once again, that we will be discussing that after we do our recap of this week's The Patient, which I do think is going to be a quick recap and then maybe a lot of criticism. <laughs> but Sona, you were away. How was your time away? We did get to listen to some of the beautiful <laughs> background noise last week. <laughs> How ironic that um, being outside of the city created more background noise than being inside New York City. Uh, yeah, we were just out on the North Fork of Long Island, which is, you know, one of our favorite places to go. And I thought that I would be encouraging my wellness by recording the podcast outside in the beautiful backyard with all the wildlife. But I guess um, <laughs> all the wildlife was louder than I expected. It was just a little bird in the background, actually. So it was pretty, pretty fun. But we just there definitely... was an insect that sounded like a saw. I think you mentioned. <laughs> I did trim it. I did trim that out of the podcast, though, so people did, did okay. miss that part. <laughs> yeah, and we were away too. We were down the shore over the weekend. So I published the Game of Thrones podcast a little late. So if anybody hasn't caught up on that, do check that out. It's pretty short. These podcast episodes have been pretty short recently, just because of travel and work and things that have kept me busy. But we might have some bonus content coming in the next week or so. Today is Disney Day, Sona, by the way. Do you have anything on your agenda? Are you going to watch the new Pinocchio movie, the Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio movie oh with Tom Hanks? Oh, my gosh. Can I tell you the craziest thing now? Everything is falling into place in my life. Um, <laughs> I had no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what <laughs> Disney is. However, it is the first day of school here yes, for New York City for Public us Schools. As well. yep. In the chaos of the morning, and then let's be honest, every morning is chaos. You know, I say, eat your breakfast, watch TV while we all try and get out the door to my five-year-old. He knows how to use the television remote control better than I do, the <laughs> smart TV and the apps and whatnot, and uh, immediately went to Disney Plus and said, oh, Pinocchio, it's September 8th. Yep, there you go. He knew. <laughs> and I had no idea what he was no. talking about, but I guess this is related <laughs> <laughs> it is. So just for general <laughs> listenership out there, if you are looking for things to see with your family, this is Disney Plus Day. And there's been Pinocchio's premiere today. 
uh, there's a slew of other things that premiered as well, which I uh, can't don't know off the top of my head. But one of the biggest ones or the biggest one, I would say, is the Thor movie, which was just in theaters last week, is now premiered there as well. So and there's a new episode of She-Hulk. And so basically, you know, they have new episodes of everything, plus, of course, new movies. But the Pinocchio, this is the conversation we're having at 730 in the morning. Is a reissue of the original movie. It's not a new Pinocchio, is it? It is. Robert Zemeckis, the director of Back to the Future. Well, I told him it was the one from when me and his dad (laughs) were kids. And they just were releasing it now because I had no idea about any of this. So, okay, I put some misinformation out there. Hopefully it doesn't make it to the (laughs) kindergarten class. Oh, I'm sure they'll come. He's going to be questioning this at school. Come back with the full information. In the tradition of these recent updates from Disney of their famous cartoons, whether it's Beauty and the Beast, the live action one, or the photorealistic version of The Lion King that came out a couple of years ago, or the Aladdin movie with Will Smith. So this is more of the same. So they've gotten Robert Zemeckis, the director of Back to the Future, to direct this movie with uh, Tom Hanks playing Geppetto. So and a, uh, you know, animated puppet Pinocchio. Wow. I have learned so much in the first <laughs> three hours of the day about Disney. Okay. Now, you know. Now, you know, I had no idea. And I hear it's bad, by the way. So just a, a warner warning for everybody out there. I am not making that recommendation. I have not seen it. So I can't say one way or the other, but I have heard it's not very good, <laughs> unfortunately. But I'm sure for the kids, the kids will probably be fine with it. He only made it about 10 minutes in before we switched to Boss Baby. So oh, there you go. They have extricated the cigar smoking and beer drinking, by the way. So he does not get drunk in this version. But if you do watch the original version, he does drink beer, get drunk. Smoke cigars and throw up. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he turns into a donkey. Right, right, right. And eventually gets swallowed by the whale. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So (laughs) this is all the digressions because we're not really that excited about this episode of the show. (laughs) Let's briefly go into it. And actually, let me preface this once again before we even get into it to say that if you are listening to this, you know, just listening along, because we're probably going to say mostly negative things about this. I would say that one of the reasons I picked this show was because on paper, I know Sona likes Steve Carell. I know Sona likes psychotherapy and shows around psychotherapy. You are throwing me under the bus so fast here. And I was fascinated. No, no. I was fascinated as well. (laughs) And of course, also because the showrunners of The Americans, one of the best shows of the past decade or so. So I thought all good ingredients for a show sounded like on paper. And the last reason, though, this is the thing I was going to circle around to. The last reason I was very curious about this was critics get to see this show early. Usually you only see a few episodes in this particular case. And maybe for a reason, Hulu released the entire show to critics. So the critical consensus was all over the place. There were critics that were saying this was one of the best shows they'd seen in years. There were critics saying this movie, this show was complete garbage. And that dichotomy of opinion really was interesting to me. Like, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this why people are so conflicted on this so all that is to say that if you have not started this show or if you just watched one episode or so i honestly do think regardless of how we land on this show and i I honestly do not think it can i'm going to change my opinion on it but regardless i do think whether it's good bad or indifferent you're probably better off (laughs) even though we're covering it week to week you're probably better off binging this uh towards the end i would guess because so little happens in these episodes as far as moving character development or uh, plot forward. I really think you need to watch these in batches. Do you agree? To the extent that you need to watch it, sure. <laughs> sure. That's the other thing that remains to be seen. When his father left, 
I started reading all these books, you know, self-help. The Cactus and the Mirage was one of my favorites. I had Sam read it too, but it didn't really help him. So I told him he should try real therapy. This isn't trying real therapy. Of course. I know how terrible this is. Believe me, I know. Unlock me. I don't have a key. Well, call the police, then we can help Sam. Please understand. I don't support him in this at all. I'm not like him. But I can't turn in my own son. You're his mother. Can't you tell him to stop this? He's trying to stop. I know it's... it's Candace, please. I have kids. A son and a daughter. They need me just like he needs you. I know this isn't right. But you have to help him. He's my baby. So I'm not even going to bother breaking down this thing moment to moment. <laughs> uh, well, I'll talk about the structure of the episode and then the one thing that I actually thought was pretty good in it or very good in it, actually. And uh, so we left on a cliffhanger last week where someone's coming down the stairs. I thought it might have been a child, maybe a, a, a daughter or son that was in the house while the father was away. But it turns out, oh, my God, this is so bad. <laughs> it turns out that it's his mom and his mom knows that he's been killing people, knows that he brought this psychiatrist into the house and she's just i know this is wrong but he's still my son i can't turn him in this is so utterly contrived at this point uh, but what did you th what was your reaction when you saw that it was the mom on the stairs <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I this whole i mean listen i'm not above suspending my disbelief yeah the whole premise is pretty bizarre but yeah. come on yeah like i mean yes the fact that he lives with his mother his mother finds out okay but like her reaction to this is insane yes yes they obviously or maybe not i don't know there's some psychotic codependency i guess between these two yes you're a mom but like there are some standards of humanity and yep. morality and just legality like um, like i'm just gonna go along with having someone captive in my basement i mean at the very least you would remove yourself from the situation and be like well i can't live here if you're gonna do this kind of stuff right right it, it just it was too unbelievable to me unless again like there's some kind of crime right. duo i don't know maybe but you know right i do think i feel the same way i'm so frustrated by this plot turn i think it's ridiculous but i do on to your point i do think that there is a possibility the show could pull itself out maybe like you said maybe this isn't his mother maybe this is someone pretending to be his mother maybe but i don't feel that um because when they're actually having their analysis session of the, of the group analysis session the three of them that he seems so uncomfortable with having his mother there and trying to you know, put words in her mouth as far as the relationship with the father. It makes me think that if this was just some like duo of psychopaths that are playing games with him, that this dynamic wouldn't play out this way. Plus, I don't think Sam seems to be at this point. We have nothing to make us think that he's savvy at all as a sociopath. He purely is like an open wound. He just reacts. And maybe that's just the shading of this character, which is not, I'm sure you'll agree with this too, not a great performance yet. Uh, you know, this is very one dimensional. The performance isn't compelling but once again i feel on the page they're making him do nothing as a matter of fact that's one of the frustrations in 
the show, you have a show about analysis and they sit down to have analysis and he's nothing. He's a completely closed book. So it's like, so what's the point of framing the show this way? I, I don't understand. It's really frustrating to me right now. It is frustrating. I think I also, um, and you kind of just alluded to this, I am just, the Sam character is just not working for me. I mm -hmm. don't know if it's the actor or the character itself, but I feel like this is a show that in order to work, this character has to be very intriguing or charismatic in order to make you suspend your disbelief. Like not necessarily one of those things where you need to be rooting for the bad guy, but to not be so disturbed by how this situation could actually be happening. Like to kind of let you still be interested in what's happening rather than just being like, this is a messed up situation and I don't know why I'm watching it, right? Um, and I feel like right now I'm like, this is a messed up situation and I don't know why I'm watching this. Here's a show I'll recommend to everybody. And unfortunately it was canceled, but it was a very good show. David Fincher producing for Netflix. And I don't know if you've ever seen this show. Did you ever see Mindhunter on Netflix? No, but I've heard good things about it. And what I would say is for anybody who maybe once again, my expectations going into this always taint my experience of these shows and maybe it is a different type of show, but I do recommend everybody watch that because what I like so much about that show based loosely on the, the, the establishment of the FBI's um, forensic psychology group, real true life people, by the way, although a lot of it's fictionalized in the show, but interviewing famous serial killers. And what I like so much about that show is all these moments when we see this forensic psychologist, the psychologist speaking to these killers. And we know, for example, I've touched on this when we were talking about Blackbird, a lot of these people are lying about some of their kills. They're pumping up their own numbers. So there is this cat and mouse in the room where there is a dynamic where this killer wants to lie to make themselves look bigger, make themselves seem more sociopathic, more iconic as these kind of stereotypes of killers. But you have this sense as you see the conversations that they are playing a game back and forth. But then there's also this sometimes a cat and mouse where the dynamic flips, where since the only person who's ever talking to them is this psych, uh, psychiatrist, the psychologist, I guess it would be, they have a power dynamic too, because they can walk out of the room and that's their chip to play. And there's these little power plays in the dialogue, which are so fascinating to watch, right? And this show does none of that. It's just like people have said Steve Carell's giving good performance here. I do think he does a good performance in the flashbacks, which I do want to talk about because I think that is a strong part of this episode. I agree. But beyond that, you know, when they're in a room together, there is no dynamics there. And I mentioned this when we were texting back and forth. There should be a sense of suspense that maybe Sam will hurt him. Maybe Sam will blow up at him. There should be some sense of suspense, especially, and I'm just going to put it out there now because there's so little to cover here, this cliffhanger at the end where he has brought, I assume, this restaurateur to the house, and that's the cliffhanger for next week. And there should be some sense of dread or suspense, and there's nothing. I have no suspense Agree. in any of these scenes at all. Agree. I I'm just scratching my head the whole time, wondering why would someone make the show and what is the purpose of it? I think the end was supposed to be a cliffhanger, but I just felt like, eh, yeah, whatever happens to that guy happens, man. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not vested. I'm not worried. I'm I don't not... care who he is. I don't care yep. if he's the guy from the Greek restaurant. I don't care if he's alive or not. Like, I just come on. Yep. That should not have been my reaction to yep. something like that. <laughs> Absolutely not. I agree. <laughs> so the one positive I'll say here is in the flashbacks, once again, I really do like the performances in the flashbacks, I still don't mm -hmm. understand what purpose they serve in the show, honestly, mm -hmm. but I do like this 
very uncomfortable dynamic where we see Beth, the wife, who we do see briefly has, I guess, died of cancer, right? We see her dying in bed yes. at that moment, just for a, a flash. But most of what we see is that she, I guess she is, what do you call it? Uh, a she, cantor. She's a cantor, yes, at her mm -hmm. parish. She is religious. I thought originally that there might be some tension because she's non-religious versus this uh, orthodox path that her son has gone on. But apparently she is religious. So in a way, not only is it a rebellion because he has become orthodox or he's become religious, I should say, but it's also his choice of religious belief, right? Or religious practice, I should say. So that's interesting. Also interesting to see her performing, you know, singing in front of this audience, which of course rejects it. Most of them walk out during this uh, wedding ceremony. Well, I think it's mostly the men that walk yes, out, mostly right? the men. Um, but also um, gives more meaning to that guitar scene from the beginning yes. as well. Yep, absolutely. This was probably the guitar she used as a cantor. And like, if your son is orthodox, well, I guess so, you know, if he's orthodox, he doesn't believe she should be singing. But, right. you know, right. you would just think that like it would have additional sentiment attached to it, given that it was used in a religious way. Yeah. And I thought this whole flashback sequence was really strong. And I thought I do like to see Corell giving, you know, basically we assume that this dulled and depressed version of him that we see now, this is after his wife's passed away. So at least we do get to see this contrast where he is now. It just makes those flashback scenes stand out as like really the only ones that have any kind of dynamic. And I really am curious to know more of this rupture in the family where I am completely uninterested in what's happening. Supposedly in the meat of the show, this thriller that's happening in this basement, I could care less. It's crazy. Same. All right. I think that's all we have to say about that. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's going to pull itself out somehow, but I am not optimistic. Once again, my general recommendations is, uh, if you choose to watch this show, wait for our final <laughs> assessment towards the end. If you're really dedicated to watching it, I would wait until there's a bunch of these episodes to watch because so little happens and so little is revealed about these characters from episode to episode. You really need four or five episodes to have any. I, I mean, I might have very well still not been happy with the show at this point if I'd watched all three of these episodes together, but I would have at least felt like I had discovered something. I mean, watching this as individual episodes, I feel like I get very, very little uh, from episode to episode, so. I agree. All right, on a more positive note, as I touched on briefly before, Sona and I, in the very first conversation we ever had in this podcast, I had made some recommendations for some thrillers that she might wanna watch that she hadn't caught up on yet, some recent ones. She ended up watching Nightcrawler with Jake mm -hmm. Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal, which was available on Netflix. It was for, for the convenience sake of it. But one of the shows, I one of the movies I really wanted her to watch was Thoroughbreds, which at the time was not available to stream. And it has popped up here and there, but its streaming rights are never consistent. However, it has landed on HBO Max and it's been there for a little while now. So I think it'll probably st stick around, hopefully. Although there's a lot of shit because of HBO Max, so God knows what's going to happen over there. But <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you might want to catch it <laughs> while it's mm -hmm. there. I'm glad when you reacted to say that you did enjoy watching it because I had pitched this to you as a modern day Heathers. And then after I had said that to you and you were actually going to watch it, then I almost wanted to <laughs> text back to you. That is a little misleading because I think Heather's, for example, is campy, where this show is, this film is not campy at all, right? But it Perhaps. has some of the same kind of social dynamics in it, which I thought were interesting. And I think uh, you may have made the comparison at the time, and it occurred to me just a few minutes ago when you were talking about it, 
kind of like a heavenly creatures kind of feeling. Yes, absolutely. Well. Yes. I didn't know you had seen that one, but yes, this I, is I very much. Decades yes. ago. So <laughs> my, my memory of it is very big, but enough to know that it has the same kind of feel in a lot of ways. Oh, very much. I think that other than, you know, that actually has some surreal elements, like kind of fantasy sequences, which yeah. this does not. But absolutely, I think that is a better connection between the two. And for anybody who's never seen that, that is Peter Jackson before he made the Lord of the Rings films, one of his very first films based on a real life murder case uh, between these two girls who have a psychosexual, per perhaps uh, dynamic mm -hmm. and actually based on uh, Anne Rule. Actually, the author is actually one of these women, although that that, that information did not come out until uh, later on. They were teenagers at the time, so not women. Uh, and actually, that was Kate Winslet first, uh, Kate Winslet's first performance, and she's excellent in it. So yeah, do track that down as well. Heavenly Creatures, excellent, excellent film from. And is uh, it Melanie Linsky also? Or yes, no? Melanie Linsky. Right. Yes, right? from so, from Yellow Jackets. Um, yep. Right. So yeah. two very popular uh, actresses at the moment, and good for them for having such long-lasting careers. Yeah, absolutely. They have huge careers since then, obviously. Both teenagers at the time giving exceptional performances. And Peter Jackson, you know, early in his career, already very strong direction. Yeah. And here we have two really kind of iconic for their generation actresses, Olivia Cook. Now, like I mentioned before, she's about to become one of the main players in House of the Dragon. And uh, also on another show that I covered earlier this year, the British Slow Horses, um, MI6. Um, MI5? Is it MI5? MI5 uh, <laughs> spy the show. <laughs> <laughs> the spy show from the UK earlier this year. She was also in that. And of course, Anya Taylor-Joy has been in some M9 Shyamalan movies. She's been in Last Night in Soho, which just uh, played last year. And uh, has also played in Queen's Gambit, of course, which was a phenomenon during the pandemic. Well, I have not seen any of those things, but I do think that these two young ladies are very charismatic. So yes, I, I could see them having similar, uh, similarly long lasting careers to the Heavenly Creatures actresses. I do think that's very important, by the way, what you mentioned. I think that this particular film, Thoroughbreds, once again, just to kind of run it down, written and directed by Corey Finley, began as a stage play, not too surprisingly that that would be the case, right, Sona? Mm-hmm. And with these great actresses. But what I was going to mention is that it's it could be very stage bound. Here's uh, someone who had written a stage play, could not get it financed. So he turned it into a movie and it is not stage bound. I feel the camera moves really beautifully through these limited locations where the show or the film takes place. So I think he's done a really good job of making it cinematic. Also, very importantly, what you mentioned about these two performances, these girls are inscrutable on the surface. And that could be frustrating as it is, for example, in the patient to draw that correlation. And yet there's some charisma that they have, which mm -hmm. makes you uh, kind of compelled to watch them. Absolutely. We can avoid spoilers. Maybe we'll get spoilers at the end, but let's avoid spoilers now in case people want to catch up with it. The story basically is, uh, it begins with Olivia Cook's character, who's basically like a self-described sociopath. She just describes that she has no ability of feeling any emotions. And she has apparently killed her horse, the horse that she rides. I don't know if it's actually her horse specifically, or just her horse that she rides normally. She's killed her horse because it's lame and she feels bad for it. She just feels that the best thing for it to do is to die. So she kills it at the beginning of this but episode. The key thing you're saying here as to what happens later, she feels bad about it. Correct. I <laughs> I completely agree with what you're about to say there. That yes, I think because I think that's you know that is kind of the, the subtext of the, the film mm -hmm. that makes it so interesting to me after you watch it is is that yeah. very thing. When you get to the end is who 
is which. So exactly. So Olivia Cook self-described as this unfeeling sociopath, supposedly. Meanwhile, we have Anya Taylor-Joy playing this very rich, I guess Olivia Cook is pretty rich, but not super rich. Anya Taylor-Joy is extremely rich. I mean, yeah, holy cow, <laughs> that estate. And I don't know massive. if they were similarly wealthy before her father died, but now, Perhaps. wow. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that scene where they're drinking in the basement and she goes upstairs to back to the TV mm-hmm. room. And they literally, she goes up literally three flights of stairs yes. <laughs> to mm-hmm. get back to the main floor. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So Anya Taylor-Joy is this uh, potentially, I mean, pampered, I was going to say spoiled, but pampered rich girl and seems to be the popular one. But they were importantly, very close friends when they were young. But of course, as that often happens in life, these girls have drifted apart over time. Given the fact Olivia Cook has you know, killed her horse, <laughs> she really doesn't have many friends. She's kind of seen <laughs> as a, an outcast. And it turns out that Lily, Anya Taylor-Joy's character, has been paid, I should say, by Amanda, Olivia Cook's character's mother to hang out with her basically and what happens is they these very different girls start hanging out together and this friendship starts to rekindle but more Mm -hmm. importantly is they kind of find a common ground between these two supposedly diametrically opposed uh personas so before we get into spoilers just you want to just give me your general opinion of the film I really enjoyed this you know much of the movie is two people talking to each other which you know (laughs) I love Yeah. Um, as I said, you know, I think both of these actresses are really compelling to watch. I mean, first of all, they're they're both beautiful, so very easy to look at, but also just like very charismatic, you know, what could have been, I think, very boring because it's two people just talking to each other. They added levels to their characters, I think, that made you more interested in knowing who they were, what their pasts were, why they are the way they are, and you know, what is really going on. I think very nicely done. Very simple, straightforward story without a lot of twists and turns that I enjoyed. Plot to, I guess it's fine to say, the plot to kill the stepfather. That's not a spoiler. (laughs) Yeah, it comes up relatively (laughs) early. Yeah, yeah. is, you know, interesting also in that, right? And like this kind of goes together with that level of privilege and wealth or whatever, like, Okay, she doesn't like him. I get it. And he's right. kind of a jerk. I get it. But like murder? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like just, you know, wait it out. You're about to go to college or whatever. <laughs> you know, enjoy the wine cellar and the giant palatial house and the, you know, beautiful grounds. And yep. I, I mean, it was like on the water, it looked like. Yep. So, yep. like, you know, just, you know, there's plenty of room to keep to yourself. So, <laughs> right. um, as someone who has lived with the, with my mother's husband, who I did not care for in a way smaller house, I did not ever think about actually murdering him. <laughs> I think it's very important, by the way. Let's get into spoilers at this point. I, I highly recommend this film. Definitely catch it while it's still on HBO Max. Basically, as Sona already mentioned, and this is pretty early on, Amanda mentions to Lily that, you know, if you really can't stand living in this house with this guy, then you should just kill him. You know, her stepfather, who's made her extraordinarily wealthy. Everything about just killing him? I mean, no. Could at least consider it. No. Just weigh the pros and cons. No. Why don't you consider all options? Yeah, not like murder. Yeah, sure, it's outside the box, but you can only get so far thinking how everyone else thinks. Look at Steve Jobs. What? 
I'm just going off what you're giving me. It's a cost-benefit analysis. Seems like you could generate a lot of benefit for a lot of people. Except I'd spend the rest of my life in jail. Why are you assuming you'd get caught? Meanwhile, she, Lily, thinks that she's being perfect, so she doesn't understand why Mark, the stepfather, is always on her case. Uh, they bring in this poor, hapless, <laughs> you know, would-be gangster, <laughs> Anton Yelkin, playing Tim. So just, just so great here, especially at the end when he's almost like terrified to run into her randomly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, just giving such a great performance. Unfortunately, like kind of uh, snuffed out at the so tragic. Career. Yeah. How'd you find me? Asked around. That is so fucking unprofessional. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't normally make a sale under these circumstances. Good thing you need the business. I don't need the business. Okay. Th- this is a temporary gig. Fun. I have had to hustle for everything that I have. You don't know where I come from. Westchester. Amanda. Fuck off. You have no idea. Give me five, max, ten years, I will be running this game. All up the coast, I will be the guy. Yeah, creepy friend. I know. They bring him in, they recruit him to kill off the stepfather in this plot that doesn't really go the way they hoped. I think it's very important that early on when I'm watching this, the film and you see how Lily bristles at him so often, I honestly, multiple times was thinking there's some kind of, you know, he's abusing her sexually. I something, thought so right? too. Yes. And I, I think agree. the film is setting you up for that. And then what happens is one time Amanda hides there while Lily confronts him, you know, it's supposedly to protect the Lily in case he flies off the handle. And he basically tells her, you're spoiled, you're privileged, your mom wants you to leave the house also. You know, you were flunked out of school. She apparently- uh, Plagiarized. Plagiarized uh, an essay, She exactly. So she's been kicked out of her boarding school, but she has been boarded. So that speaks to that, her mom Mm -hmm. dismissing her more than anything else, because that's been the case even before the stepfather came along. Good point, yes. And Although Andover considered one of the best schools in the country, so. True, true. Yeah. You know, this is kind of not anything new in her life, but, you know, so it, she's kind of deflecting a lot of the anger she has towards her mom, towards the stepdad, as if the stepdad has created the circumstance. And by the way, he is just annoyingly shitty with his rowing and biking all the time. Oh, and, his pomposity. and we all know that kind of guy, right? <laughs> exactly. The and the, uh... Yeah. And he is obnoxious in just a standard, stereotypical, entitled shithead. <laughs> but the film goes out of its way out of its way, that when he talks to her, he's absolutely correct about everything he says. And as a matter of fact, even Amanda says he's not wrong about anything he says. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think the film is setting him up to be like, aha, and then he she gets him, like he gets his just desserts. He is just a run of the mill, a jerk. And to your point, exactly, and I think it's the point of the film as well, she's deflecting from her mom because her mom married this guy. Her mom wants this money, wants this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And she's like, this guy's ruining my life. It's like, what are you talking about? Like you wouldn't have any of these things. Mm -hmm. And she is blind to that very thing. She just wants what she wants. If you want what's best for her, leave her. You couldn't possibly understand someone else's point of view. Could you? Not mine, not your friends, 
Definitely not your mom's. Fuck you. Because in your brain, all these people are just little offshoots of your consciousness. We're all your maids, aren't we? Your cleaning ladies, your personal trainers. You know what? Put all the shit in your lungs that you want. We need to stop protecting you. Life needs to knock you around a little. Oh, and the only reason that I'm still sending you to Brookmore is that I paid in full. After that, you're off my payroll. Princess. And that is, I think, the last thing I want to talk to you about, because what I found so satisfying about this film is after it's done, is that play in my mind of who is the real psychopath here, right? Mm -hmm. You already hinted at it at the beginning, where Olivia Cook may not act the right way. However, right. she seems to have a real moral clarity about what is right and what is wrong, as opposed to Lily, who is so empathetic, supposedly, but feels so much that in the end, she's just like any tiny slight is someone something you would murder somebody for. So she, in a way, is the real psychopath here, I think. Yeah, although Amanda has convinced herself somehow yes. that yes. she is a psychopath, sociopath, I can't remember which is the more appropriate term, but <laughs> right. you know, she repeatedly says she feels nothing, she feels no joy, she right. feels she feels nothing at any time, which you know, the horse thing shows us is not necessarily true. Um, but you see that Lily is intrigued by that. Um, the idea of feeling nothing. Right, and right. right by the end, you realize that maybe she's so intrigued because she feels nothing. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, so I find it very interesting, even if you think about the por uh, portrayals, uh, you know, going back to the patient and just the serial killer not that these girls are serial killers, but to, to look at <laughs> portrayals. If you of count so the horse, maybe. But. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, right. But when you look at portrayals of sociopaths in film, that what's interesting is that you have both of these, right? You have this portrayal of the sociopath as so cold-blooded, so calculating and unfeeling. But then you have the opposite, right? You have uh, sociopaths that they uh, really do feel this way, that like any tiny ruffling of their feathers is an egregious affront to them in some way. Now, I don't know if that's true to life, just as it's portraying those types of characters or making a critique potentially of the way that is portrayed in films, I think is interesting. Uh, someone who is actually a psychotherapist who maybe knows of people who have some of these conditions, I would be curious to get like their feedback to say, you know, how realistic this is. Uh, but the other thing I thought was interesting about it as well is just, you know, throughout my lifetime, I'm sure you can speak to this as well. There often are these relationships between teen girls where they kind of, you know, going back to the idea of heavenly creatures, it's almost like they feed into some strange fantasy versions of themselves and they maybe can be really bad influences on each other. They can be very positive influences as well. But I do think that's interesting because I've seen throughout my lifetime younger girls do sometimes get into these very strange codependent uh, dynamics. I was about to say there can be a codependent dynamic. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, absolutely. And a codependent dynamic and an idea of like fitting a certain archetype and not being able yes. to then depart from that, even when maybe that was your personality at one point, but you know, people change, especially during the teenage years, but you kind of get stuck in that archetype. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that's being played with here. Maybe not 
as overtly as some of these other things, but that idea, and like you can almost see Lily's mom in that frame, uh, in that style of person who is so desperately trying to be a specific thing, but her mom seems to be totally comfortable in being that thing. Whereas Lily is desperate to be that thing, but seems also to be uncomfortable with it. Mm. And, uh, and that, you know, so it's kind of interesting that, you know, when society kind of dictates a certain role that you have to play and Lily is probably expected and she probably feels a lot of that an expectation to be a certain type of person. Yeah. I mean, you can see just from the way she dresses, she's so well put together. Her makeup yep. is perfect. The hair is perfectly put back and up and all of that. Whereas Amanda's a little bit more thrown yes. together and disheveled. Yeah. That one scene where she kind of, she's out of the shower and she's putting her hair yes, yes. Uh, like lilies to kind of yeah. see like, well, what would I look like if I was that type of person? Yeah. That's a really interesting scene. It's a, I'm glad you pointed it out because I almost would forget it where she is like putting her hair up. She's seeing what she would look like. She's smiling at herself in the mirror. And she's like saying once again, like, what if I could play that part? Right. So, uh, and then she just goes back to her, her usual self. Uh, yeah, I think. And then she's, ah, that's not me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I also like that scene where they, uh, she shows her how to make herself cry using the, the technique. Yes. Yes. Um, and that revelation later, right. Where, she says, when we were coming back from my father's funeral and we were hugging and we were both crying. Yes. <laughs> and it was all fake. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Although I guess, you know, in that um, particular situation, we are to believe that Lily's tears were real because she had lost her father. So she too can feel something at times. Oh, I think Lily does feel, but yeah. I just feel that sometimes she maybe feels so much, maybe in that way, she's right that even something that, like you said, Mark's obnoxiousness is not a murderable offense. <laughs> but exactly. maybe, maybe in her, <laughs> you know, considering her, uh, you know, frame of mind or her sensitivities, maybe in her mind, yes, even something that slight is enough for murdering. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything you said. I'm, and I'm really glad you appreciated it. Yeah, I, but I did want to get any final thoughts. Go ahead. Yeah, my final thought is, and this is really just a stray thought. It's a tangent, but the fact that, um, you know, they originally planned to do this by having Anton Yelchin's character shoot him, right? And that yeah. plan falls apart. And But that made sense to me for two teenage girls to come up with that yep. idea. Yep. Um, and actually very advanced with the blackmail and the recording and whatever. They yep. really thought ahead mm -hmm. more than I would have expected them to. I think that's Amanda's work. She's probably the one who's more methodical about that type of thing. Yes, maybe. So my original thought as to how to murder this guy who totally did not deserve to be murdered, even though he kind of sucks, um, <laughs> right. would be like, why would you not find a way to poison the juice? Like he's got a schedule where he does the juice. Why would you not just poison the juice? I mean, I know it could be traceable. You would have to do some research on that, but it just seems like nice and clean. So for her to eventually go to stabbing this guy, I mean, such a violent and personal way to kill someone I think is very telling. Um, because that is like, you can only do that if you really are feeling a legitimate rage towards someone. That's not a cold distanced way to kill someone. Isn't she also getting rid of Amanda though? At that point, I think it's kind of killing two birds with one stone, not because she hates Amanda, not because she hates Amanda, but because maybe she's, she's taking the fall. Right. But she's also afraid probably of her friendship with Amanda in a way. Right. I guess so. I mean, it just seemed, I don't know. 
Um, and I, I felt like also there were some holes in that cover up that um, forensic science would have uncovered, but that's yeah. neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm very curious about the cleanup after the fact. Yeah. Like, she like kind of cuddles with her on the sofa. I mean, she does seem to be wearing like an oversized sweater, which I'm sure she's going to like burn or throw away. But it just does seem. Yes. Yeah, I no agree. questions. Yeah. I mean, fingerprints, like so much. I mean, I guess it's just a knife, but uh, a lot of questions about the blood spatter, the everything. Um, <laughs> yes. But, you know, again, we will suspend disbelief on that. The reason I think that maybe it makes sense in that regard is not her original plan that Amanda would be drugged and have no idea what was happening. But the fact that Amanda will enthusiastically take the, the fall, I think that once she admits to it all and her reputation, I think they're just not going to investigate any further. Fair, fair. But I do think the original plan of just drugging her and doing this behind her back could have very easily backfired. <laughs> very sad, the idea that like she's, decided to convince her friend that her life is worthless. So yes. why doesn't she just do this? It's a very cruel uh, reversal. So cruel. Yeah, 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 I agree. But all very interesting stuff. I And not a perfect yes. film. I want to be clear, not a perfect film. I just I really like when I see someone who's like, it's their first film and they're very confident and really do a lot of things well. And once again, great performances from these young actresses. So, I mean, you know, I just thought that for something that I honestly played some film festivals and then went straight to, you know, cable at that point, I was like, wow, this, you know, deserved more <laughs> applauds than it, than it received, you know? Yeah, I really enjoyed it and I'm happy you recommended it. All right, cool. I'm so glad. And I'll probably be recommending more thrillers to come in the weeks to come, everybody. And there's many of them, by the way. So some of these might be more recent thrillers because just... Shutter alone has thrillers coming every single week all the way up until Halloween. Obviously, Halloween Makes is sense. pretty close by, but many thrillers for everybody. And uh, honestly, I did think the patient would be meaty enough to fill out a whole episode, but it probably will not. <laughs> so <laughs> I will hopefully be bringing you other things to watch that might be more satisfying. Then uh, also, you know, and, and I'm going to try to stay in this vein of psychological thrillers. There's a lot of them out there. And like I, like this one, for example, Thoroughbreds, a film that never got wide release. And I really think that it deserves a little more attention. All right, Sona, thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Let's hope that next week's patient is better. Can, can it be worse? I don't think it could be worse. <laughs> so. <laughs> I hope it's not worse. <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.